Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Quick programming note. Next week, we'll be back with a normal episode of Snow the Goalie where we'll talk about the Flyers, the on-ice product, leading up to the trade deadline, yada, yada, yada. This week, however, uh, we have a, a special episode. Uh, I'm still recovering from uh, COVID, which was not fun. Um, so rather than try to soldier through an episode of me coughing up a lung and Anthony not, uh, he sat down for an exclusive interview with Flyers Director of Hockey Analytics, Ian Anderson. And it's a great episode. Honestly, it is a great, great interview. Plenty of excellent insight. Whether you pray at the altar of analytics or you're the ultimate analytics basher, there's something for you in this episode. It's, it's fantastic stuff. So make sure you stick around, give it a shot, listen to it, uh, and learn a bit about one of the people who are you know is going to continue running the hockey analytics side of things for this organization going forward. There's a lot of great stuff in this interview. So give it a listen. We'll be back next week with a normal episode of Snow the Goalie. But in the meantime, here's Anthony Sanfilippo and Flyers Director of Hockey Analytics, Ian Anderson. Hi, I'm Paul Holmgren. Hey, I'm Travis Konechny. Hi, I'm Chuck Fletcher. Hey, this is Jeremy Roenick. Hi, this is Travis Sanheim. Hi, I'm Joel Farabee. Hi, this is Derek Broussard. Hey, I'm Scott Lawton. Hi, this is Bob Clark. And you're you're listening to Snow the Goalie. 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 Welcome into Snow the Goalie. So it's just me, Anthony Sanfilippo, with you. Uh... This week, as we get ready for yet another uh, episode, as we get inch even closer to the trade deadline, and we'll be talking all kinds of trade stuff for us and I uh, as we get there. But I have a very special guest uh, for this interview, and I want to welcome to the program the Flyers Director of Analytics, Ian Anderson. Ian, thanks for joining us here on Snow the Goalie. Thank you for having me, Anthony. And you are the second person besides my mother to call me special, so I appreciate that. <laughs> well, you know what? You know, it's funny. I I, I heard you do an interview. And, you know, one of the questions that I was going to ask, but I'll, I'll phrase it a different way now because I know the information, um, is that uh, I heard you say that you kind of broke into analytics because you're a baseball guy. And that's, uh, listen, you're, we're, we're speaking the same language. And you and I could probably spend five hours away from this, away from hockey, just going over baseball. Baseball is my sport first and foremost. I love it. And I just love looking at numbers and everything else along the lines of baseball. Um, but you, you know, just for our audience, I know you grew up out in, uh, in California, a big Oakland A's fan, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's actually the story. I, I will retract that and say that I'm not a big uh, baseball guy, especially not, not, not anymore, not anymore, but as I, <laughs> but you were, as, uh, yeah, yeah, no, I grew up outside of the, the backstory is I grew up outside of Oakland, California, about, you know, 20 minutes East, basically. My, my yeah. dad actually grew up in Oakland, the Oakland Hills itself. Um, but anyways, we, we were big A's fans growing up uh, and the Giants to some extent too. But but uh, my dad's side of the family, it was mostly A's and that's where we gravitated towards. We had season tickets growing up and and uh, obviously, you know, the, the Battle of the Bay World Series and stuff like that. that. That was like my childhood, you know what I mean? So those right. are the, 
the the main key uh, elements of your childhood and, and growing up with sports. Yeah, and then you said uh, you, you know while you're out there, obviously you pick up um, Michael Lewis's book, uh, yeah. Moneyball, and that kind of that's kind of like gave you the direction you wanted to go as far as pursuing a career in in, in that data analytics. Yeah, well, actually, not no. That's actually prior to data analytics. I I, I never even thought of that as a, a path that I could actually pursue. Um, what interested what interested me about the book coming out in 2003 was I was right in the middle of college, like a, a critical time in college where everybody's trying to figure out what they want to do with their life and what they should study. And um, and I, I always had, a, you know, kind of a dream of, of working in sports, um, but I just never understood like what path I could potentially, you know, follow. I wasn't, I wasn't going to be a coach, you know, I wasn't going to Right. Uh, be a professional athlete myself. And I just didn't realize, I guess, until reading that book that there's like a team of management, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. like there's the scouts I knew of and stuff like that, but like there's other people in the management. And I, just, I was just clueless to that up until kind of reading, uh, reading that book. So that was my entry into thinking, Hey, you could actually work in the front office, I guess would be a better way of putting it. Sure. Sure. So how do you end up with the Washington Capitals? Uh, I just, you don't have enough time on this podcast for that one. <laughs> um, but, but the short, short version is, is I, I, I again, I made that decision that I was going to take a risk and, and try to pursue this as a career. Right. I, I, I literally packed up one day, sold everything I owned, except for some few boxes, shipped them across the country and was, and just had the mindset that there's eight teams roughly in that area, right. In, in the DMV area, as everybody right. calls it. I'm sure I could find something. I'll get in there, weasel my way in somehow. And um, to, to really condense the story, the, the lucky break that I had getting in with the Capitals and and and, and hockey in specific uh, is that it, they were coming out of a lockout actually, 2005 and 2006, and it right. lasted a year for people that don't that may not remember that. Um, it was the whole season. So um, I, I believe around that time when I had moved out there, they had just within a week or two, they, the, the lockout had ended. And so they were ramping up to start a season, but they only had 20 people on staff. You know, everybody had left, they had found other jobs, they had moved on, they were doing nothing for a year, right? So there was such a small staff in place. And it was just really that is a kind of one of many lucky breaks you get is that there wasn't a lot of people there. I, I started at the very, very bottom. Um, I'm not like as an unpaid intern. I don't even remember what I did first. And I, I think I had five or six jobs before I landed a full-time job. Um, so yeah, that, that's sort of the lucky break. And, and did you have any, any, you know, interest in hockey? I mean, growing up, I mean, geez, the sharks didn't get out there till like the, right then, like early nineties. Yeah. Right. So did you have any kind of knowledge of hockey when, when you showed up? <laughs> uh, yeah. So that, that's actually, you know, an interesting point you brought up too which I tell people all the time they're like did you grow up with hockey and I was like you know not really to be honest and not because it wasn't interested in it I watched you know the occasional game on ESPN um, but what you have to understand that growing up in the, the Bay Area San Francisco area like you just mentioned was like we didn't have a team until everybody now knows the Sharks but until 93 we had nothing you know mm -hmm. and um, you know my, my mom was working in Silicon Valley at the time and um, her company I think she was with some microsystems at the time um, they, you know, gave her tickets to a game when the, the first or second year or whatever. And they were actually playing at the cow palace in San Francisco at the beginning. If you remember that. Yes. Anyways, we went to a game and I was like, what is this? You know, and, and <laughs> as, as most people know, when you're a young kid and you see, see visually see hockey, uh, in person live for the first time, it, it kind of 
that's what cha- that's what changes your perspective of the of the game and the sport itself. That's interesting. And so when you're with the Caps, um, you kind of made like analytics like your own thing because they didn't really have anything there at the time. Not that anybody really, really did in, in the NHL at the time, but you kind of looked at it and said, "Hey, you ever think about maybe doing some of this?" and and kind of made it like your own little uh, your own little fiefdom, right? Yeah, I, um, I wouldn't go that far, but um, <laughs> I, I was basically working on the team operations side of the, of the organization. So that's a lot of just, you know, managing the day-to-day uh, aspects of the team, whether it be like, you know, travel and, and player, uh, calling players up and down, working with uh, assistant GM on salary cap management, roster moves, stuff like that. Like you, you name it, you kind of do everything in that role, right. um, which is part of the reason I, I liked it. And I ended up in that is that I learned the, the, the how the team functions on a day-to-day basis uh, at the very ground level um but in doing that and being around the team for you know seven eight years at that time i was i was just kind of looking okay can what can i do next or what am i interested in and i and one of the things i stumbled upon was like we weren't really doing anything data related i, I was helping a G, the assistant gm a couple times on some some arb case uh, research and he was just telling me like, go figure it out. And I'm like, well, well, don't we have a database? Like, isn't there like data we could pull for this stuff um, to put these briefs together? And, and we didn't have it. So the light bulb kind of went off in my head and I just said, maybe this is something I could get into. Um, and so that was what sparked me to kind of pursue the, this as, as potentially a career. Um, and, and that's, that was the beginning of it, basically. I, I don't want to get into anything proprietary as we have this entire mm-hmm. conversation, but Taking you back to that very the very beginnings, I think I can ask this. That was a team yeah. ago and fourteen years ago. Uh, yeah. uh, what were the at at that time? Like, what were the the very beginnings of yeah. analytics in in hockey? I mean, I think you know it huh? started in baseball, obviously, but I it really was. This is kind of a different sport and, and a different way of looking yeah. at it. So, what were those first things that that you guys were looking at and first things that you were doing to try and see the sport in a different way? Um. Well, one thing that should that people should know is that, you know, the NHL play by play, which is what, you know, a lot of the public analysis is done still to this day is still done on that data set. Right. And yeah. and that was produced um, coming out of that 0506 lockout I, I had mentioned earlier in an earlier conversation um, where, you know, the NHL made a decision to uh, expand what was the record keeping of the games. Right. But like prior to 2007, it was kind of just like goals, like penalties, like basic stuff like that. But it, it, was, it was like 10 things, you know, that they were keeping track of. Uh, coming out of that lockout in 2007, they started doing like hits, takeaways, like time on ice, like all the things that we know today. I, I guess what I'm getting at and trying to drive home to people is like, this is still fairly new as a sport. 2007 is not that long ago. It's not like like baseball. People were doing it in 1900, you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> um so that data set came on board and it's, you know, roughly 350, 400 events a game, gives you a lot of context. You had time on ice, you knew who was on and who was off and, and you could do shifts and things like that. Um, so then people started picking that up and, uh, you know, I don't remember 2009, 10, 11 and started blogging about it. So that's where the public domain kind of came in and people were blogging. Some people that were sophisticated with, with data um, and their day jobs started blogging and writing about players differently than had ever been done before. Um, it's not like nobody had considered it. It just that didn't exist prior right. to you know 2007. So it's still all fairly new. Everybody was figuring it out as they went, and that was my entry into people blogging and doing stuff in the public sphere, and then realizing that internally, uh, somebody on the inside of the team 
we didn't have any of that set up to be able to perform that level of analysis. So again, that wraps it full circle and how I got into it. Well, that's know? kind of funny to think that here you have a league with all these teams in it and they really weren't doing their own kind of work. And you have people just sitting at home kind mm-hmm. of tracking this stuff on their own, spending yeah. hours like rewinding video and, yeah. and, and putting up their own numbers. And you kind of look at it like, that's pretty cool. Like, why aren't we doing that? Right. Is that pretty yeah, much what yeah. it was for you? Yeah. And so the other component of, of this conversation is that it, it takes some sophistication to do this, uh, um, to extract that. What you're doing is you're extracting that, that data from, from a data source, whether it be an API or a web page. Um, it, it requires somebody that has some skills, right? Um, right. So computer programming and, and uh, ex, you know, advanced Excel and things like that. Back in those days, that's what people were doing, not nowadays. Um, and, and then statistical software at that time, open source software was going through kind of a renaissance as well, um, which really took off, uh, you know, 2010 and beyond. Um, open source software, be, you know, became really mainstream, right? Um, and then that, that's where this all, this whole story, my story all kind of marries up around, you know, 2012, 2013, where uh, open source software, the skills of the public domain, they all kind of marry together. And now you have people really uh, accelerating the growth of data analysis. So how do you end up here with the flyers in 2014? Yeah, so to, to put a, a bow on the, on, on the story in terms of where I was with Washington is, is I, I made that decision. I had talked to the general manager at the time, George McPhee, and the assistant general manager there, Don Fishman, and just said, hey, this is something I think I want to pursue, but I don't have any of these skills. Um, so I went uh, back to school while working um, and, and taught myself uh, computer programming, got my master's degree in predictive analytics to learn modeling and statistical analysis and uh, all the things that you would need to do to do this job. Um, so about two to three months before I'm about to finish that program, uh, George McPhee was let go as a general manager. And it was a, a, a turnover in management there and a little bit of time in between hiring Brian McClellan and, and George. And at the same exact time, Ron Hexall was promoted here. Um, and so there was this like kind of uh, uncertainty with where I was at. And then also opportunity opened up with the Flyers here, who um, I obviously knew of the group here, the management team, not Ron specifically, but a lot of the people that were here um, just because we we're in the same division and whatnot. And, and we kind of reached out to each other. And we're like, hey, is this a, is this a good match? You know, is this something? And and, and Ron had said in his opening press conference that he wanted to expand this area uh, and that Ed, Ed Snyder was really on board with that. Um, so it was timing. Um, and one of those things that was like kind of a life-changing uh, second lucky break, right? Was, was all those things coming together at the same time. Now, just out of curiosity, had LA, where Ron had come from, had they been one of the forefront, one of the teams that kind of was at the start of this? Or did that, I, it, I, I, I'm just curious if that's where it kind of, or it was yeah. just like kind of like a chicken and egg kind of thing in this league. You don't really quite know who was doing it first. Yeah, no, I, I can't speak to obviously another organization. And, and that was a number of years ago. Yeah. Um, what I will, what, what I, what the only thing I can tell you is, you know, kind of um, maybe what Ron told me uh, at various times is that um, they were doing a lot of uh, more video analysis and, and, and work on that area. Okay. Uh, not necessarily on the um, data side of things. And, and so they were ahead of their time, I think, according to him and, and, and some of the other people I know in that organization in terms of breaking down and, and analyzing video in a really, really um, efficient manner. 
Um, but no, they didn't have anything when and they came on board. And now we fast forward to 21-22, and the player – you got – this data dump that's coming from the NHL, you guys yeah. are doing like individual player tracking now, right? I mean, this is mm-hmm. kind of like next level. So could you, can you kind of explain just, you know, to the fans, what exactly is, is, is this tracking what's going on out there? Yeah. So it's a technology that is not unique to uh, hockey. We're actually one of the last sports to get it, to be honest. Um, and, and it started in, in, and soccer, I believe, was one of the first sports to do it. But there's been iterations where some are done by video, where they use computer vision, where basically a computer tracks players and identifies players and the, and the ball or the puck um, on the playing surface. And, and will tell you where everybody is on the playing surface at all times and in addition to the ball. So you can start to then do um, analysis in terms of like where people are in relation to others, defensive positioning, things like that, which you can get to in a, in a second. But um, but the NHL's version is, is more similar to what the NFL is, has been doing the last three or four years, which is a physical RFID chip. So it's a chip that's embedded in the, in the player's shoulder pads. Every player around the league for every single game in the NHL is wearing this chip. And, and then there's some um, sensors or kind of cameras in, in the rafters of the building of every NHL building, which then picks up and pings off that, that sensor um, a few times a second. And it basically is saying, okay, I know who this player is, where are they doing? And then it and transmits some information. So um, there's also one in the puck as well. So we know how fast the puck is going and where it's moving and stuff like that, which we, we haven't really known up until this point. So um, it's, it's a very rich data set. It's, it's completely new to this year. So that, that has started at the beginning of the 2022 season in October. And so now we're, you know, not just myself, uh, there's other teams and, and I'm sure other people are doing the same thing I'm doing, which is like, what do we do with this? You know, what can we get out of this? How do we not only handle it, analyze it, figure it out, but then extract meaningful um, studies and analysis behind it. And then how do we present that information to coaches, player development, skills coaches, and then say, hey, these are the areas we think we can use this information to make us better. Now you you had mentioned um, you know the initial expansion of stats coming out of the lockout, and you said that they were tracking three hundred and fifty to four hundred events per game. This stuff is doing how many? <laughs> it's about a, it's over a million per game so, um, data points. So um, you know, like most people that might be listening to this in their day job, you know, they they deal with data too. You know, whether you work for a bank or a marketing agency or whatever, this is this is nothing new. It's just. Uh, the world we live in today, it's credit card processing. It's, mm-hmm. it's all what we're kind of approaching big data, you know, so what the, that term that gets thrown around a lot. Um, but yeah, you're moving from something that can be done on a computer, 350 events per game, right? What the NHL does. Anyone can do that on a computer right now. You can go on, I can point you to one website, you can download the data, you know, right. and, and, and deal with that on a computer. But if you try to load, you know, a few hundred million events on, on, a, on any laptop, it's, it's going to come to a screeching halt really fast. So, so you need new technology, you need new tech, you need new skills, you need some data infrastructure. Uh, and we've really been building for eight years to get to this point. Um, so if you're trying to start right now, it's going to be very difficult without having um, some of that runway we've had. Sure. Now, now, again, without getting into specifics, you, you would, you had mentioned that, you know, everybody's kind of like, going to be looking at this for the first time and saying, what are we going to do with it? Is, is it, is a, is it a matter of, you just got to dive into the like research 
uh, into that and see if you can find something that makes that makes sense and, and say, oh, ooh, yeah. there's something we found. Here's something we found. And it's like trial and error kind of stuff. I mean, is that how is that how this the next wave kind of works? Yeah, yeah. We're we're having those discussions internally is, is like, you know, you're presented with uh, somebody drops you off on the beach. Right. And it's just like, go find the best grain of sand. Like, <laughs> we're like, where do you where do you look? You know, where do you start? Yeah, um, that's honestly what we're kind of um, uh, what we're dealing with right now. So I think to answer your question, like more simply is, is it really comes down with getting together as a group, um, determining what things that we think are, are pressing and that can make an immediate impact. So we have an immediate impact, um, what can make the largest impact, right, uh, on our results, and then also what is feasible in a short amount of time from like a technical standpoint. So, um, so you got to kind of marry those three things up. But I think we have some ideas on things that are, are technically feasible and, and shouldn't take us too much time and that we feel like we can communicate easily to, to a coaching staff or a positional coach. And then they, they can take that and hopefully make us better fairly quickly. Now, now one of the things in sports is, is sports tend to be copy. they tend to be copycats, right? Team does well. What are they doing? Well, let's do the same thing. So yeah. in that regard, um, it, it allows the sports to evolve in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. So in, in this sense, I guess you guys got to constantly be looking for what's, what's the next, what's the new thing. What's what everybody else is doing while at the same time, determining what's best for your team in the moment, but at mm -hmm. the same time, keeping an eye on everyone else and what could come down the road. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're hundred percent right. That's, that's all a part of the equation is, is analyzing your team first and, and understanding what are your core competencies as an organization or as a team, right? Like, like, what do we yeah. do well? And when, what do we currently have within our, our group and what are their, their attributes and, and things that uh, make them good players that might not be the same as some other teams. So if we're trying to copy another team that has completely different, you know, um, uh, player attributes or, or structure or whatever it might be, um, and that's, that's a recipe for disaster because right. those, those two things are going to be hard to, to sync up. So, um, you got to really be mindful of, of, of your group and what you're, what you have. And, and when you start making those comparisons, um, but as you said, that the, the league and the game is, is evolving too. So you don't want to look, sometimes you, get, you can get into a trap of looking too far back when that's not where today is. Right. Um, right. And so it's, it's always trying to have that forward outlook of, of where are things going? What are the trends moving forward? And, and where are we going to be a couple of years from now? Now, how do you take what you, what, where you guys are now with analytics and use that to determine future value of not necessarily the pro athletes, but the kids that you're kind of considering for draft? Because I mean, I'm sure that this tracking does not exist in, Europe or in the OHL or WHL mm -hmm. or whatever the case might be. So how do you, how do you kind of combine the data you have with what your scouts are basically just watching from the press box in games? Yeah. Um, that's something that we, we've actually been spending the last couple of years really trying to get better at, which is like integrating those two approaches into one cohesive approach. Um, instead of them running in parallel to each other, the scouting and the data, we're trying to marry those things up as much as we can and, and, and work those together. Um, so, so that's, that's a whole process. That's more of a process, internal process 
okay. uh, part of this whole picture, right? But to answer your question, we do have um, th that data that is not, not the RFID chips that we were talking about, the player tracking, but the, the step below that, the data coming out of these European leagues, um, the North American leagues, the uh, you know CHL, the USHL, like all those lower level uh, prospect leagues, as most people would refer to them, the data there has improved dramatically over okay. the last four or five years as well. So um, we're at a point now where we're five years into that, where we can start really analyzing things over a long longitudinal uh, study, right? Because um, when you only have one year of data, it's very difficult to say, okay, well, how does this play itself out? We don't have anything to compare it to. Um, but now we're about five or six years down that road. So we're, we can start doing some of that stuff and making comparables. Like, uh, for example, like I, I have very detailed information on what Travis Connect me or Ivan Provorov did when they were playing in, you know, in Ottawa and, and, okay. um, and actually TK was in Sarnia, I believe too. And, and Provorov was in Brandon and, and his junior. So like we have it back to that point. Right. Okay. And now we've been able to see where they've progressed in their careers. Right. Um, so we can then go back when we're looking at a player for this year's draft and say, okay, does this guy compare to Ivan Provorov or player X on other team, you know, and you can start making some of those comparisons a little bit more um, fine grained. All right. Now, none of this is perfect. We, we know this. Right. And in, in, in every in every sport and every walk of life, the data is what it is. Um, but like I, I want to make a quick comparison for you and then you can give me a, a good answer here. So like in baseball, for example, right, the data they've they've over over time, they've studied it and realized, you know, if we shift the infield around and you, we're going to take away hits. 72% of the time, they're still going to get their hits from time to time, but on the whole, we're going to be better off. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so they have a pretty good number and I'm sure you guys have your numbers as well, but is it, is it a little bit, is the um, margin of error different in hockey just because the sport is faster and nonstop as opposed to something like baseball, where you can kind of, you know, individual one-on-one -on -one pitcher versus hitter, as opposed yeah. to the game constantly moving. Right. Yep, one hundred percent. Like that—that's what makes doing this job in this sport. Um, I believe it is the hardest sport to do this work in, and and that's not just me saying that because I do it. I can point to three specific things that make it more difficult than any sport. Number one, we are a free-flowing sport with constant action. Right? There's like football—you go up to line of scrimmage, you make you have a play, then it stops five seconds later. Baseball, very discreet events. Everybody knows that, right? Uh, number two, uh, we are one of two sports that I know of that has in-game substitution. So while the play is going on, people are coming in and out. Basketball, there's a foul, then they substitute, right? So it's on, off, on, right. off. Well, you know, us and lacrosse are the only two sports that have players coming in and out while the play is going on, okay? Yeah, <laughs> so that, that, that adds to the complexity, um, not even to mention when the players are coming on and off, they're coming on and off at different times. So I've been on for 40 seconds and you come on fresh, that changes the calculation, right? Um, so that's number two. Number three is we're uh, one, the only sport that I can think of outside of a red card in soccer where you have uh, different uh, strength states, right? So we have five on five, four on three, five on three, six on four, so, you know, it, the complexity gets a little bit harder than basketball. We know there's always 5v5, you know, soccer, again, unless you get a red card very rarely. Baseball, it's not – can you imagine if you're in watching a baseball game and it's like, okay, this inning, the Phillies only get to send out seven people into the field, you know? <laughs> right, exactly. And, and, and what they would have to do to kind of 
put their players in the optimal positions because they only have seven all of a sudden, you know, right, right. Um, that would make it very difficult. So, so it's a, it's a difficult problem. It's, it's not unsolvable, but it just makes it a little bit more complex. Um, and, and then we have more variables that we have to account for than say yeah. something like baseball. And you have to be willing to be wrong more often. Correct. I mean, I mean, I, you know, I mean, like I look at some games and I, and I sit there and say, you know, it's amazing because I think hockey's like you said, it, it might be the only sport that's like this. You know, I guess maybe lacrosse or soccer is close, but, um, you know, where one team is just dom just dominates the game from all aspects and still loses. Mm-hmm. No. And it's like, what more could we have done? Yeah. Like analytically, everything we did was correct and yeah. we still didn't win the game. Whereas that really doesn't happen. And like if football, you pretty much are winning baseball, you're pretty yeah, much yeah. winning. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, the equivalent, I guess, to use your baseball analogy, and I've, I'm, baseball fans might get mad at me because I could get the stat wrong, but like, didn't uh, Jacob Degrom, you know, have a losing record and win the Cy Young or something yes. recently? Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So yeah. like, he he's pitching to the utmost, one of the top pitching performances in history, but he's losing games. How does that make sense? So yeah. there's some parallels in other sports, and and we know that that doesn't mean that because Jacob Degrom has a losing record, he's a bad pitcher. We have to put all that in context and, 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 you know, it goes both ways. There's games that we play very well and we lose. There's games that we play poorly and we win. Right. So the idea with all this is, and, and in most sports is that when you, the law, the law of large numbers tells us the larger the numbers get, the more you regress to where you should be. Right. So whether right. that's progressing to uh, the what, exactly the yeah. win percentage you should be expecting over a long period of time. So it's hard as a fan to, or even <laughs> a, to be 100% honest, a team employee, you know, on a game by game basis, to, the wins and losses mean so much. But you have to kind of think big picture is what are we likely to do over 82 games? That's the only thing that matters. You know, right. 82 games is the season. Whatever is that happens at the 82nd game is, is what you are. It's not the, the, you know, the 30th game doesn't determine your fate. It's the whole 82 games, you know. Just out of curiosity, do you look at playoffs differently than you look at the regular season? When you when you're when you're when you're breaking it down, only because of how the game kind of changes a little bit, come the way the teams play, come playoff time, as opposed to the way they play in the regular season, or no? Yeah, you'd be surprised the game doesn't change that much. Oh, really? <laughs> um, okay. Well, all right. Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, I mean, it's a little bit more physical. That's for sure. Um, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm saying this from a data standpoint right now. Okay. Like the, yeah, yeah. It's a little bit more physical. Um, it, it, but that also depends on what game number you're in and what round you're in and things like that. And um, attrition is is real as well the longer it goes on um so yeah it's it's still it's still hockey the rules are still the same the dimensions are still the same you know like the hoosier movie you know what do they do they go out there and he says you know lines here and what's the difference to the basket but it's all yeah. the same whether it's playoff or regular season right yep um and and again no, no specific player here just in general mm-hmm. um let's just say chuck comes to you and says we're thinking about making a long-term commitment to a player financially with their contract, whatever, um, you know, it's pretty fair to say, tell me if I'm wrong, but it's pretty fair to say that you guys have to you look at it and say, and look at the, you're going to look at the numbers and you're going to go to him. And if it's not a good idea, you're probably going to say, yeah, probably not that long Chuck, or, you know, maybe mm-hmm. it would work for three years, but not five or something along those lines that does mm-hmm. those conversations do happen right between the, the general manager and your department. Correct. Yeah, a hundred percent. That's, that's really what we're relied upon to do is, is like, you know, in your analogy, like who are, who are the comparables to this player? What was, what was done? What, what's within range, what's within out of the range? Um, you know, uh, 
you know, can we model out what the right term and the right AAV is? And if we were to go longer, what, how would that impact, you know, certain things down the line? Um, so there is some strategy also in terms of not just in the present moment, but like, what does that do for next year or the year after? What, what would that mean? And if we have to subtract another player out of the lineup to make that player fit, we're gaining something in one area, but now we have to lose something because we can't afford that player a year or two from. So what is the downward stream effect of that decision? Um, there's some talks, um, you know, that revolve around that. But yeah, yeah, our, our job is really to just provide as much data as we can, you know, wherever that might be. It's not just, you know, like, should we acquire player X? It, it can be certain things like, uh, are we doing well at this specific aspect of the game? You know, and that goes right. to the coaching staff or it might go to Chuck for a decision. It might go to salary cap people for um, salary reasons. It might go to the strength and conditioning staff or something related to fatigue or uh, it's really – trying to to put that information in the right people's hands so that they can make the best decision they could possibly make in their area of expertise. Two more analytics questions for you. Um, the first one is I, I look at, you know, what's public data that's out there that, you know, that, that, you know, all us writers kind of reference and stuff. I look at that as kind of like, that's the declassified information, right? Um, mm -hmm. I, I guess, and again, without getting into specifics, how much more, if, if based off of what's out there for all of us to see, Mm -hmm. how much more is there that teams have that we have no idea what you guys are looking at? Like just, <laughs> just, just generically. Um, generically. It's honestly, it's not that much different than what you, okay. you know, you all are aware of now. Like, um, you know, really what's out there in the public is very, very good in terms of determining what happened. Like who, who was on the ice? Was there a goal? Was there a shot? Um, so it's, it's very good at that. And, and ours isn't that much. What we're doing internally is not that, that much different. It's, it's very minimal. Um, the, the main difference is that that data is captured in, in each building. And there's some bias into it. People have done research on this. And a lot of the stats sites you see online have to have like an, what they call rink adjustment. And that's basically adjusting for specific buildings that, that overcount or undercount specific things, right? So there's a bias into it. The only difference between stuff we're doing internally on, on that level, right, is that ours is 100% ours is correct across the board. <laughs> right. So, so we, we, remove, we remove those people and those biases from the equation. So now we, it's just correct, right? We know right. the data is correct. Um, and so that's the first level. The second level is, 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 you know, what some people have been doing manually tracking over the recent years in terms of like micro stats and, you know, zone exits, zone entries, like passes to leading to shots, like stuff like that. There's, there's people out there that are doing that. And that's a lot of the data that we get. It's again, it's manually tracked versus um, ours is kind of a half automated, half uh, manual. Um, but again, we just have confidence that our data is correct versus somebody accidentally tracking something wrong or typing in the wrong player or whatever. Um, and, and then the next level below that is, is really what we're talking about with this tracking stuff, which is like, what is the speed of the puck? How fast is the puck moving? How fast was that player moving? What's the difference between, what's the distance between player X and player Y on that page? And, and if their distance um, from each other, support in that play was different, how would that have changed the, the outcome of that play? You know, so, so that's what we're really like leading down into fine grain details. Um, but the, you know, the, the overall summary that I try to tell people is like public sphere is what happened. It doesn't tell you 
a lot about how and why sometimes like like how did the puck get from here to there like you don't that's missing in public data right um and so the private data just kind of connects those dots a little bit easier and says like okay that 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 play started here and here's who was involved and it gives you a little bit more of like what happened between the start point and the end point gotcha gotcha now we know that the the department has expanded um you guys announced a couple of new hires recently cole anderson no relation right yeah, um, no really. <laughs> and and Katie Yates. Um, and that's got to be because, you know, like you said, you're getting all this new data and the, the world is expanding. And that's awesome that you guys are doing that. Um, does this give you an opportunity to kind of look at things from a, from a, from a I guess, uh, you know, a thousand foot view more um, that you're kind of like the director of it now, as opposed to being so immersed in it yeah. where you were at, where you were before. And that kind of give you a different perspective. Yeah, yeah, really, we're just trying to, um, with those two hires in particular, we're trying to find people that have kind of a, a, a niche, as well as some some global skills that they could use across. But, you know, a department, is, as you mentioned, is five people uh, at present, myself, the director, my assistant director, Jacob Hurlbut, who's, who's our back-end developer and kind of our unsung hero in terms of um, managing all, all the data infrastructure. He's been, been with me since 2016, I believe. Um, and then we hired Matthew Carliner in um, 2019 um, as things kind of expanded as well, right before the pandemic, actually, who uh, was director of basketball analytics at St. Joe's at the time and, and worked for Lockheed Martin doing some work in satellites and stuff. So he's been a great addition in 2019. And, and we were ready to expand after that as well. But then the pandemic hit and, and the player and puck tracking like hit a couple of false starts. So um, so really the answer to the question of like, why now? Why are we expanding? It's one, we were we were planning to do this before the pandemic. So this has just got delayed until now. Um, and then two, the second point of why now is that that player puck tracking was supposed to be debuted in 1920. And, and they had the league itself had manufacturing issues and some some things that prevented them from rolling it out league wide. So we put a pause on everything and just said, OK, hey, we'll wait one because of the pandemic and two, this player and puck tracking is, is hit a brick wall. Um, and then once that got restarted, we said, hey, let's bring on some people that can help us deal with this, but then also have unique skills um, skill set that will give them a niche. So in Cole's case, he's as people don't know he's. Uh, very, very into goaltending analytics and, and breaking down goaltenders and, and, and how and why they stop pucks. Um, and in Katie's case, she's very interested in like biomechanics and like, you know, efficiency of player movement and rest and fatigue. And um, she's the director of analytics right now for UMass Hockey. Um, so she'll work, has great knowledge and work with, with coaches directly one-to-one. Um, so that's going to help us again, um, having somebody else on staff that can like meet and directly communicate with coaches because um, again, it, it, you can do all the work you want and do all the analysis you want, but if you don't have that last step of communicating and, and, and working with people on staff that can then take that information onto the ice to help the players, it all breaks down right there. So with these two hires, I, you know, we hired a, a former goalie who has, who has experience coaching and from the goalie um, level and player level, Katie as a, as a, somebody that's been working directly with coaching staffs and, and, um, and, and players and um, for a number of years now, um, then we feel like those are really, really good hires for us and that are gonna really elevate our, our group as a whole, um, which I feel like was already very, very strong with Jacob and Matthew. Awesome, you know, everybody thinks you guys are like locked up in a room somewhere <laughs> for 24 hours and they slide your food under, under the door. <laughs> 
Um, but obviously, you got you get the, you get a chance to step away from this from time to time. Like, what does yeah. what, what does Ian Anderson like to do um, when he's not sitting there crunching the numbers for the Philadelphia Flyers? You know, my life is pretty boring outside of outside of this work. This is this is my passion. This is it's not only the career and, and what I like to do. Um, it's like, I think about it all the time. I'm, I'm constantly engaged in it. So, um, you know, really when I'm not here doing hockey related stuff and working with the flyers, it's just spending time with my family. Uh, I'm married. I have two kids. I have a three and a half year old daughter and, uh, just turned one year old daughter. Wow. So, so I really just like, you know, soaking up as much time as I can with my wife and my two kids and, and seeing them grow has been like the highlight of, of the last few years. Um, you know, through all this trouble we're going around with in society, it's been nice to spend that, that time with your family as well. That's awesome. Do you get a chance to like watch anything on the tube? You, you stream anything, you streamer, you watch anything on yeah. Netflix or anything like that? Yeah. Yeah. Anything well, good, like anything a- good lately? <laughs> Um, the one I've been watching lately, uh, that, that my wife and I have gotten into is, uh, dope sick. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. On Hulu. Yeah. Yeah. That one is really, um, you know, you kind of get into something and you don't know what you're, you're getting into, but it, it's been surprisingly good. Um, and, and Michael Keaton does a great job in it and there's some other good actors in it and we've just enjoyed, we like, it's a true story, obviously. So it's, it's good to. Right. Um, so to watch something like that, that you can like resonate with and, and see, okay, this is what happened in that time period of, of our lives. And I got to ask this final question, just because mm-hmm. I did at, growing up at any point, did you, did you become at any point a Jethro Tull fan because of, <laughs> just because of your name? So I, I'll, I'll share with you a funny story. I, I haven't told too many people this, but it's relevant to what, I'm, what I'll tell you right now. So again, I mentioned I grew up uh, in a small town east of Oakland, California, and uh, I played football in high school. And uh-huh. my freshman year football coach was John Madden's son. Oh, how about yeah. that? Yeah, John Madden. Well, actually, both of them were. He has two sons, um, uh-huh. and, and they were both my high school football coach. He was, he pulled me aside one day and he's like, I have something for you. And he handed me a CD and it was like Jethro Tull's greatest hits. And I was like, what the heck is this old man music? You know, and I had no idea. That was the first time I'd ever heard the name Ian Anderson and Jethro Tull and whatever. And it was actually John Madden's son. And then I saw them on the Super Bowl. They did a nice tribute to him and, uh-huh. and their whole family. They brought him out and I was like, oh, hey, those are, those are the coaches. How about that? How about that? I guess you didn't really like the music. Called it no, old. It's called it's it old right. man. You called it old well, man music. That's why I asked. No, no, no. That, well, that was a number of years ago when I was 14 years old. So at that time, it was old man music. Now I am the old man. So you're right. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's great. Hey, Ian. Listen, I really do appreciate your time. Thank you so very much for for doing this. And hey, best of luck to you down the road. And we'll talk down the road, hopefully as well. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it.